0: Hi, this is Lynette Nylander, host of NTS Radio's new podcast, Sounds and Style. Each week, I'll be chatting with some of culture's most influential figures, exploring how music and style links what we wear with who we are. Expect deep cuts into musical genres and fashion subcultures as my guests and I look at how the music they love has informed the work they make today. This season, I've been chatting with Lily Allen, Martine Rose, Mel Ottenberg, and many more. New episodes drop every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You are listening to Don't Assume. I'm Zakia, and in this podcast, I'll be talking to pioneers, disruptors and innovators about
0: their lives and music. When I was making this album, all of my drum references were all Atlanta rap records. Like... MJG and 8Ball, 3-6 Mafia, Gucci Mane. Like, I was like, yo, we're going to make these records and they're going to be all, you know, sweet and pop, but those drums need to knock. Those drums need to slap you in the face. Like, we need to drop our balls on these niggas, you know, every single time. That was kind of what I would tell the guys. Today, I'm with Amare
1: at the NTS studio in London to find out more about her musical journey, influences, and her new album, Fountain Baby. As part of the Nigerian Alte subculture, a scene made up of West African musicians subverting genres and expectations, Amare seems to have musical rebellion in her DNA. From her early years living in Accra, Ghana, as well as in US cities like New Jersey and Atlanta, she's developed a rich musical palette, Amare is just as at home making country trap as she is Afro House. And with musical references as diverse as Ebo Taylor, Young Thug, Britney Spears, and Khalees, her approach very much subscribes to a don't assume philosophy. I'm really, really excited to hear more about it today. Thank you so much for coming and chatting to me today. Really, really excited to hear about your new release and your journey. Um, and I wanted to start off thinking about your kind of early days and your early influences.
0: And when did you first realize that you wanted to make music? Well, first off, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, Early influences. I grew up around a multitude of people who love music. So my influences range everywhere from like the Red Hot Chili Peppers to Stevie Nicks to Billie Holiday to Gucci Mane, (laughs) you know, to um, Marvin Gaye, Sade. And I think that for me, my influences just come from really loving and caring about music and being somebody who likes to research and look for things, you know. Um, My introduction to music, first and foremost, was through hip hop, because I grew up around my uncles who all collected CDs, you know, back in 98, 99, 2000. Um, And... The interesting thing about hip hop is that because it's so sample based, if you do enough research, you find all the records from the 70s and the 80s and the 60s that they're sampling. And then that's a whole other different type of education. So, yeah, I think that's that's what my influence has been about, curiosity and really tapping into the things and the people around me. Did you grow up in a musical environment, a musical household? I grew up with... Um, (laughs) lots of people who wanted to rap, but didn't end up rapping. My father (laughs) wanted to sing and he just ended up being a businessman. My grandmother also told me she had wanted to be in the band in like the 50s or the 40s, but you know. Just societal norms in Africa at the time didn't allow it. So I, I grew up around people who love music, but just never pursued it. So you're like you're living out their dream. <laughs> Literally, a lot of people are living vicariously through me right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pressure, I imagine. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I think they just they're happy to just see a dream actualized, no matter whose dream it is, you know. So when did you first start like, making your own music? Um, probably when I was about 15. When I moved to Ghana, the assistant at the computer lab in my high school used to make beats in the back room. So when I found out about that, I literally went up to him and I was like, hey, I want to record and I want to buy beats. You know, what can I do? So every day after school, I would go to the back room. And um, it was him. His name was Killa F and this uh, other producer named Kuvi. And I would go and I would record and make beats with them. And that eventually developed to me, like getting an internship at a studio for one summer um, when I was 17. And then I just built, built it up from there.
1: I've read that you are a big fan of Kalees. Kaleidoscope was an album that when I was like eight or nine, one of my dad's friends burnt me a CD version of it. And I used to just sit and like write out the lyrics and I was obsessed with her. But it was something about her being this sort of alternative black female icon who, you know, claimed to like come from space. I'm kind of curious to know like what what, what it was that drew you to her and why she's been so influential
0: to you. Kalees is like really, as far as when we look at maybe the last... 30 40 years like the real first alternative black girl for real for real and i think outside of that like her approach to music making is just so interesting right like when you think about when you think about a song like caught out there like in 1999 or 98 what black girls were coming on a record screaming i hate you so much right <laughs> now like that's crazy crazy and then I think, like, just the beat she was singing over, like, you know, the songwriting as well was just so intricate and so interesting in um, the tone of her voice. Um, and then her look is a whole other thing. I think Khalees is just ballsy at a time where there were a lot of, like, cookie-cutter, this is what an R&B artist is supposed to look like, and she just completely obliterated that, you know?
1: And do you feel like that kind of gave you a blueprint or, like, a, a vision of how you wanted to sort of build your career as an artist?
0: Absolutely. I was just inspired by her audacity truthfully um and I think like also just um there's an edginess to what she does like it's very raw and it's very punk but it's also very hip-hop you know and I think for a singer to take that type of approach to her music like almost like like I don't even know like how to really explain it but I think just kind of for a woman to take that approach is just very interesting you know
1: Absolutely. So you've also cited influences like Paul Wall and DJ Paul and these kind of, you know, pioneers of Southern US rap. How did you develop that palette? Mm -hmm. And can you put a finger on how you kind of fuse those references with the sort of sweetness and pop sensibility of your records?
0: Mm. Well, I spent a lot of my youth in Atlanta. I moved to Atlanta when I was about eight and I lived there till I was about 12. And I got to Atlanta right at the perfect time. I got to Atlanta when like Lil John and the East Side Boys were a thing. Uh, when um, Slim Thug and Mike Jones and Paul Wall came out came out with Still Tipping. when T.I. was popping Jazzy face Sierra, Petey Pablo, like that entire era of ATL, I literally got to the beginning of that. So as a kid, that's all I was hearing. And I think the thing about southern rap for me and like southern music culture first of all i i love how everything is so communal so there's a real dna in the music like you can align what gucci does with what ti does even down to what like goody mob does with what um andre 3000 does there's a there's a clear dna and a clear genetic line there um and i think for me Outside of that, I just love the production. The production, the drums are heavy and they thump. And when I was making this album, all of my drum references were all Atlanta rap records. Like MJG and 8 Ball, 3-6 Mafia, Gucci Mane. I was like, yo... We're going to make these records and they're going to be all, you know, sweet and pop. But those drums need to knock. Those drums need to slap you in the face. Like we need to drop our balls on these niggas, you know, every (laughs) single time. That was kind of what I would tell the guys. So for me, I think that's like what I really picked up was like I really wanted that bass and that drum to hit just in a very disrespectful way. You know,
1: You know, this kind of time spent in Atlanta
0: was obviously a major influence. What about Accra? So you moved there when you were how old? I'm from Ghana. So my whole family... Um, lives resides in Ghana I was born in New York and then went straight to Ghana so I lived there till I was eight then I lived in Atlanta till I was like 12 and then I lived in New Jersey till I was 14 then I moved back to Ghana (laughs) Um, and I went to high school in Ghana then I went to college in Atlanta then I moved back to Ghana again (laughs) so like literally been all over the place so yeah I think for me you know, you everything that I do is essentially African, you know, like, and I think music in its totality is, you know, all um, based on, you know, African music. But I think where you can hear that type of sensibility, once again, is in the drums, whereas the bass will be a southern bass, you hear all of those, the bongos and like, you know, just kind of like the way that we move and we pace the music um, is all built in like afrobeat and african music um so yeah that's kind of where i picked that up from and um even just kind of like including a lot of like horns and saxophone and stuff like that that's like really going back to like ebo taylor and osibisa and Fela Kuti, and you know yeah so
1: would you say you're like intentionally trying to sort of integrate these different aspects of your identity and experience in the music or is it something that
0: just comes through naturally um i think it's both i think it's a natural thing, but it's also very intentional. I've had such a rich experience in life living in so many different places, traveling to so many different places. Um, you know, I love Britney Spears just as much as I love Gucci. And to me, they are two geniuses that are one in the same. So to me, when I sit and I make music, I think like, what do I love about Gucci Mane? And what do I love about Britney Spears? And how can I bring those two worlds together and still be myself, you know, and still pay homage to the country that I'm from, you know? So, yeah. So,
1: yeah, you've become associated with the Nigerian Alte scene. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you make roads into the scene and who were your initial collaborators and champions?
0: Um, Wow. The Nigerian Alte scene, I think probably for me, around 2016 2017 i met an artist um out here in london actually um and we just linked up and he was doing a song um and the song was called whoa and he had sent it to me he was like yo can you put a verse on it can you hop on it so i hopped on that and he put it on soundcloud and then that's kind of when it started to like take off from there then i got introduced to other artists like um the engine santi um stuff like that and that's when we did rapid fire and that kind of built up um into other things yeah and how would you describe that community and and the alte sound um I think those are some of the most daring musicians I know because they really don't care they're gonna do what they want to do how they want to do it you know um and I think that's very like um cutting edge and punk of them you know like They'll start one sound, the Afrobeat sound that you hear now was the altest sound in 2015. And they're on to like a whole new different outer space (laughs) sound now that'll probably be the sound of Afrobeat again in like another five, six years. Yeah.
1: This podcast is called Don't Assume. And, you know, we're talking to people, we're looking at moments and times in artists' lives where they've taken like a fuck it approach to their life or their music. So you've, you've mentioned this word punk now quite a few times. I mean, would you describe yourself as a punk artist?
0: Uh, Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. 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 I think that the fact that artists like Brittany and Gucci and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Stevie Nicks um, and um, Marvin Gaye and Sade can exist in one lexicon and can all be like pressure points for what I want my music to take from, I think is very like punk rock, you know, like how do you, where do you go when you take all those people? Like, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to communicate? And I think that that for me is my punk rock approach. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's kind of like a breaking down of like the conventions or assumptions of, of what, of where your influences might come from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also just the breaking down of what people are assuming african music is supposed to be um i think that the sound has been so pigeonholed and people have this one expectation and going into making fountain baby that was my one thing was like how can i take our sound as it is now and just elevate it and make not even just myself and not even just listeners but other artists start to push themselves and be more daring and where they can take things. You know what I mean? Um, I think that Western pop music for a long time, some of the best pop songs in the world are daring. I mean, Phil Collins, you know, Feel It In The Air Tonight is like the drums don't kick in till two minutes into the song and it's just his voice in reverb and that shit is fucking fire i don't sorry i don't know if i can curse but (laughs) that shit is fire you know what i'm saying (laughs) no are you joking me like bro like come on like that's gangsta. A lot of rappers' favorite song is that song. You know what I'm saying? And like even going back to Britney Toxic, like I was recently listening to a podcast about the breakdown of how Toxic was made. And that is one of the most complex pieces of actually produced music. And it, it like the basis of it is even down to like 16th century baroque music. That's the inspiration for that record. Like, pop really is a daring genre when you think about it and i think the songs that have succeeded the most in that space are daring records
1: and i want to ask you about the kind of visual aspect of your kind of creative pra- practice because you know in a lot of your videos you sort of take on these different sort of characters almost as a different visual direction and energy and how you present yourself to mm-hmm. your audience mm-hmm. you know is there a difference
0: between amare and amma uh wow that's a good question yeah, probably. You know, I've never sat down to think about it. But yeah, I definitely think they're two different people, for sure. For sure. Because, like, me as just, I'm a Gen Fee, pff, I like to stay at home and watch TV. I like to sleep. I like to read books. And that's about it. Getting me out of the house <laughs> is like pulling teeth. I don't want to do it. I don't want to talk to anybody. But then Amore is like, bubbly and fun and likes to go out and likes to party and likes to make music and get to know people and really interact with the world around her. So I think it's like two completely different people.
1: And is it kind of important for you to sort of express different personalities or different aspects through the kind of
0: visuals of of your of your practice? Absolutely. Um, But I think the core of anything that I try to express is just about like, confidence and power and like just really feeling sexy like no matter who what where when how
1: you're listening to don't assume with me Zakia, and amore across a lot of your music videos, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of representation of the LGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. And you know, that in itself is a kind of daring act, given that queerness is something that is still repressed or even illegal in a lot of the kind of places that your music is referencing or or consumed. Mm -hmm. You know, is that something that has been a kind of conscious intention of yours?
0: Um, I, I think like the first ever music video that I did that was like a clear representation of that was like my first, my video in 2019 that had like, um, had like drag queens it had like men and women together, women and women, men, and men together, whatever. Oh, actually, Reckless and Sweet is also me with a male and a female lead. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, it's so funny. You know, I don't think it's something that I'm going out of my way to do because I feel like a certain group of people is marginalized or needs representation it's just an expression of like the world around me and what I think I see and I think is interesting you know what I mean um for example like Reckless and Sweet where I had a female and a male like lead I really to me I didn't stop for a second to think, like, oh, this is, like, a, a representation of, like, bi- being bi or whatever. I was just, like, this is sexy as fuck. Like, <laughs> like, you know, there's this hot male model. Leomi is gorgeous. Like, why shouldn't we do this? This is just—it's so it's somebody's greatest fantasy, you know? And just to kind of, like, put that out there and show that to someone and just to show, honestly, black people looking good and just looking good and feeling rich and just— expressing themselves in a free way i don't i don't know i don't i think that's so interesting because i don't ever think i sit to like be like oh this is what i'm gonna do it's really just a natural expression of my art and one thing that i also love to do is just like really center women in like all of my videos like they're the center of the world and you know it's i think that's how the world should be you know so
1: it's not necessarily like a conscious like political intent
0: Honestly, no. I don't. I I think that sometimes trying to be too political with expression can almost mar the freedom in which people, you know, live or express themselves. Like what I like most about my videos, to me, it doesn't feel like too try hard or too pretentious or too trying to communicate a message. Where people living a life, and this is it, and that's what we should be allowed to do. You know.
1: And I guess like I guess regardless of the intention, sometimes just putting forward like the way you live, the way you want to see the world can be interpreted as political and it can still affect change and make people think differently, even if it's not you there trying to push the buttons and thinking if I do this, they're going to think
0: this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that a lot of times when I haven't meant to be political and I've just thought to myself, well, this is just how I see the world. I realize every time I put something out and I see how people respond, I'm like, oh, this is interesting because it's causing people to think and to think deeper about expression. And to me, I'm just like, this is just the world, (laughs) you know? Yeah.
1: I guess it's like the power that artists
0: have. And do you feel like artists have a responsibility to use that power for good? A thousand, thousand, thousand percent. One of my grievances with music at the moment is that I feel like artists aren't being responsible enough in the way that they're communicating their messages um you know one of my favorite artists in the whole wide world is janet jackson and when i go back and look at janet jackson's videos now as an adult i realize there's a message that cuts across from visuals to the actual lyrics and her message is really 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 about like love and community and the power that she has is that she also adds like a real vulnerability and a sensuality to it. Like my favorite Janet videos, when I have realized there's always people in love, got till it's gone, someone to call my lover. That's the way love goes. It's like people communing and just being sexy and free and in love and all the different forms of love. Parents, um, romantic partners, siblings, like are all portrayed. And I was like, damn. Janet really taught us in her own way about like community, and that's fire.
1: And I guess it's like showing an example of a kind of activism through music that's not about like fists up. That sort of sexiness, that
0: kind of lovingness is also radical. Diabolical as shit. Because, like, she snuck up on you with that shit. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a, you know, let's go get (laughs) him. She's like, you can put the medicine in the candy. And I think that's fire, you know. And I think even, like, going down to, like, a a music video like Scream and a song like Scream with her and Michael where they're saying, stop pressuring me. You know, you make me want to scream. These were two of the biggest artists at the time. And their message to the world was, F everybody. We're going to do what we want, you know. And I think that's very powerful. And I think that as artists of today in 2023, we need to stop being bitch asses and use our platforms to really affect change and to say what we want to say.
1: So bearing that in mind, like how is that then reflected in your current release? I think that for me
0: personally... When I was going into making this album, I remember telling my producers, like, I feel like we're going to war. And my whole thing was taking my people, African people, and telling them like three things. Um, We can push our culture forward by pushing our minds and the sound forward because we communicate with people through music. Um, We don't have to live in this world of conformity. Right. I can do a music video and I can have a male and female lead and you guys are gonna talk about it for better or for worse, but it's going to push you to see life in a in a different way. You know, I can have a music video and all the girls in it are going to be sexy and not covered up. And half, half of African Twitter is like, why are these girls naked? And the other half is like, this is amazing. But there's discourse. And I think the third thing is like fearlessness. I approach my music and my art all the time with a fearless attitude. And I really, really, really want... Um, just outside of artists and outside of like the alternative community, the average African to start approaching their life with fearlessness. Cause I don't feel like we're there yet. Honestly, that's a strong,
1: strong statement of intent. Yeah. 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 I want to ask you about sort of, you know, the sense of autonomy and ownership over your sound and over your music. Cause you, you decided to learn how to sound engineer. Is that
0: right? Mm-hmm, 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 years ago.
1: Was that about a kind of a sense of being able to sort of claim more of your
0: own sound? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, sound engineers are treat you different when they realize you can speak your language. But I also think it's better for your music when you can speak their language. Like, you know, with um, my engineers, Noah, who does all my recording engineering, and Chris and Yap, who do all my mixing, when I say to them, I want this to be dramatic, I know exactly what kind of frequencies they need to work in to be dramatic. When I need something to sound cold, hot, Whatever harsh, whatever the expression is, I can also see technically how they're going to make that happen. So when they're in a free, when they're trying to push a high pass or a low pass or they're EQing something, I can be like, nah, this isn't the sound. I can speak to them in their language. And I think that that for me, as far as my expression and as far as control over how my music sounds was really, really, really important.
1: Especially because these sort of relationships are often like gendered as well, isn't it? It's often like the sound engineers and the mixing engineers are men. men, And then you're the woman who's kind of like trying to say, I want it to be like this, and they're not taking you seriously. And it's even making me think about the relationship between like Khalees and the Neptunes and Mm -hmm. these sort of toxic relationships. So it's so empowering to sort of, as an artist, be
0: able to take control. Yeah, I die a thousand deaths before I let a nigga play in my face. You know what I mean? Like, no. I think it's really, really important. And... One thing that I've learned is like I've really built like a really strong bond with all of my producers and all of the guys that work on my music because they have a real respect for the fact that I approach what we do with real technical knowledge, you know, and there's a real sharing of ideas and a respect of each other's craft and each other's like ideas. So, yeah, I think it's as an artist, I think you should. And I think all the greatest artists did, you know. So, you know,
1: we're living in an age where artists are like increasingly independent. Mm -hmm. You know, they can produce their own projects with their own vision. And you seem to be very, very collaborative in the Mm -hmm. way that you work. So how do you find the balance between sort of holding on to your singular vision and then sort of working with others?
0: I think you have to be very um, clear and focused in what you want so that you even know what you're trying to get out of others. Um, So for me and my collaborative efforts... I will select people to work with knowing exactly what their capabilities are, what their sound is, what their what their expertise is and exactly what I want to get out of them. So whenever they're putting ideas forth, I know that I brought you here because you can help me expand on a vision already. So for me, I don't think I ever like have um, creative rifts because um, I already know what my singular vision is and I'm picking everybody according to how I know that they can fit in and contribute to said vision. So who would be your dream collaborator, Dead or Alive? Dead or Alive. Ooh, (laughs) Michael Jackson. Like, easy, easy. Peak Michael, please. Yeah, which era? Ooh, Dangerous. Michael, Michael. uh, Okay, between Off the Wall Michael and Dangerous Michael. Those two,
1: yeah. So a lot of the like artists that you've described of as being influential to you are kind of, you know, people from the past. So who are some like current artists that are really
0: that you're really excited about? I love Rema. Rema is truly one of my favorite artists. Young Thug is like, I love Young Thug more than my unborn children, more than the air I breathe. Free Thug. Ombre is an R&B artist that I absolutely adore jack james is on is also another fire r&b artist uh those are the few that i can think about right now that i'm like listening to and excited by rags original as well yeah so tell me about fountain baby how did that come about fountain baby to cut a long story short i think is the culmination of my ambitions over um my entire, you know, trajectory trajectory and career as I've been wanting to make music. Um, I think it came about from me finally understanding myself, understanding my sound. It also came about from... When I dropped my last album, The Angel, You Don't Know, fans really saying they didn't think I could ever top that. I felt disrespected. So I went back in the lab and I said, how can I push myself and how can I do better? So that's that. It's it's angst, <laughs> but in the best way. And it's um, an urge just to prove myself. Um, and um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited for the record. Um, it's out. Um, yeah. And everybody just listen to it and enjoy it. And I can't wait to hear what, you know, everyone's favorites are. Do you have a favorite? Yeah, it's a song called Disguise. That's that's my favorite. And why? Disguise is my favorite because it's actually a direct interpretation and reference of all of my favorite Britney Spears songs combined. And me trying to sit and say, if I was going to make an Afrobeat record for Britney Spears in the Blackout era, what would it sound like? Yeah. And I think we I think we achieved our goal.
1: What have you got coming up? What's next for you? Obviously, this the your your latest release has just come out. What's on the horizon?
0: World domination. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of I'm so serious. And what does that look like for you? Dominating the world. Like, you're gonna go to Japan, Sri Lanka, Australia, Namibia, nigga, everywhere, and you're gonna hear Amore by the end of twenty twenty three. So help me God. <laughs> amazing well good luck on your, uh, on your quest period no no period we got to get to it
1: if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe on your podcast app this is an NTS podcast produced by Lizzie King recorded by Felix Stock and edited by Femi Oriogan williams this podcast was made possible thanks to NTS supporters. Become a supporter today for access to additional podcast content, live track lists, access to a supporter only Discord and newsletter, and a shop discount. 50% of supporter proceeds go direct to NTS resident DJs. Find out more at nts.live/supporters. S.